We are in the second week of a four-part series called From Small Talk to God Talk. It's all about how to engage others in spiritual conversations. Now, uh, last week, we learned that people are far more open to these conversations than we give them credit for. A survey that was done across the country among unchurched people, people who don't go to church, uh, learned that 79% of these people said they wouldn't mind at all if a friend wanted to talk to them about faith matters. 79%. So, so people are far more, far more inclined to have these spiritual conversations than sometimes we're ready to in, engage them with. Uh, I found this to be true in, in my own experience. Uh, whether it's with family members and friends, that there is a, an openness when we begin to move from small talk to God talk, or whether it's people that I meet in passing in the course of a day. You know, God opens doors to talk about the good news uh, of Christ. I find people are much more receptive than I imagine. Uh, I experienced this just recently, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was on the train into the city uh, to hear the CSO. I go in once or twice a month to hear the symphony. I am a classical music geek, I admit it. And uh, I got into the city a little bit early, so I decided to grab a bite to eat, and I stopped at my favorite uh, Mediterranean fast food joint called Nof Nof for some shawarma. Anybody had shawarma at Nof Nof before? It's, it's just a life-changing experience, Okay. <laughs> So I went through the line and I took my tray of food and I went to, to uh, you know, grab a seat and the place was empty. Nobody else was in there. So I walked over to the counter that overlooks the street and I grabbed a stool and I began to eat my meal and I was there just a few minutes and a guy sits down out of all the seats in the place. He sits like two stools away from me and he takes one bite of his meal and he exclaims out loud, he says, I love shawarma. I could eat this stuff every day. And thus began a conversation, which eventually became a spiritual conversation. To tell you more about how that happened in, in just a moment. Uh, how we moved from small talk about shawarma to, to, to God talk. But the, the point I want to underscore here is that people are open to spiritual conversations. They, they really are. And many of these conversations, if we're ready for them, take place in unexpected and spontaneous situations. You know, that, that's the way it regularly happened for the Apostle Paul. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 17. If you haven't taken the outline from your program yet, I encourage you to do that. Follow along. Let, let me remind you of the format of this series, too. Uh, Jesus calls every one of his followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, Come follow me, Matthew 4.19, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus wants you to be a fisher of people. Now, in the first century on the Sea of Galilee, they didn't use rod and reel. They used a net to catch fish. And so if you're going to be used by Jesus to fish for people, draw other people into a relationship with Christ, you're going to have to use a net. Net is an acronym we're using in this series, N-E-T. Let's see what you remember. The N stands for notice. Good. The E stands for engage. And the T stands for tell. Notice, engage, tell. Each week of this series, we're looking at a new story in the Bible where somebody moved a conversation from small talk to God talk by noticing, engaging, and telling. Today, our role model is the Apostle Paul. So uh, let me give you a little background to this passage we're about to look at in Acts chapter 17. 
little context, okay? Is that a familiar word to you, context? And we just finished the Bible Savvy series, and you learned that historical context, learning the background to whatever passage you read in Scripture, is really helpful to understanding and applying that passage to your life. So many of you, I hope, who are following the Bible Savvy reading schedule, you started reading Genesis just this last week. And I hope you read those uh, first page or two before Genesis in your study Bible to give you an introduction, the historical context of Genesis. Well, here, here's the historical context of Acts chapter 17. First half of the chapter, uh, Paul visits two cities, Thessalonica and Berea, and he shares the good news of Jesus with whomever he meets. And many people become followers of Christ as a result. So he's just he's having a good old time until some bad guys arrive on the scene and they begin to stir up trouble. And in fact, there, there's even a threat on Paul's life. So his friends uh, bundle him up and take him down to the coast and put him on, on a ship headed for Athens. Paul arrives in Athens. He's all by himself. His friends are back in, in Berea. Now, Athens is the foremost city in Greece at the time. Uh, Athens is also the intellectual and cultural capital of the Roman Empire. The Romans captured or conquered Athens back in 146 B.C. But because they loved Greek culture, the Romans loved everything Greek, they decided to allow Athens to, to, to retain its position of prominence in the empire. So Paul is in Athens, and he's beginning to start up conversations with whomever he meets, spiritual conversations. And there's a lesson before we read the opening verses of today's text. There, there's an observation, a lesson for us that I want to make from what I've just told you about Paul. Here, here's the lesson. Many times the opportunities we have to share the good news about Jesus, they just pop up spontaneously, unexpectedly, like the conversation I had with the guy in Nafnaf. Okay, that's how it happens for the for the Apostle Paul. And sometimes, listen, sometimes those spontaneous situations are not situations we particularly want to be in. Okay, Paul did not want to be in Athens. Okay, Paul was there. He did not make the choice to go to Athens. There was trouble that, you know, he had to escape. And so sometimes the spontaneous situations we face Give us an opportunity to tell others about Jesus, whether that's with a fellow patient in the doctor's waiting room. We don't want to be there. But this may be exactly where God wants us to meet somebody who needs to hear about Christ. Or it may be with the mechanic who's fixing our broken down car. We don't want to be there. But that's where God has, has us. Or it may be if you're a, a high school student, it may be with a fellow student tutor who's helping you get through geometry. Ge you know, you just don't get it. Well, maybe God has that situation in your life because he wants you to move a conversation from small talk to God talk. You get it? Good. So let me read a couple of verses from Acts chapter 17. I'm going to skip around, then later go back and read the passage as a whole. Verse 16. And there are a couple words I'm going to ask you to circle here. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see, circle the word see, to see that the city was full of idols. Paul's beginning to notice things. Okay, we're talking the, the N in, in net is notice. Paul notices something. See that the city was full of idols. Drop down to verses 22 and 23. Uh, Paul is there for a short bit of time and he's, you know, ushered into the presence of the Areopagus, a committee of 
community leaders. And Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see, okay, he's noticing, circle C, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at, okay, that's another notice word, looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So before Paul says anything, okay, before Paul engages in spiritual conversation in Athens, before he opens his mouth, he opens his eyes. He opens his eyes. Paul noticed in the first thing that we need to do if we want to move conversations from small talk to God talk, we got to notice. we got to notice people. Okay, are, are the people we're looking at, are they happy or sad? Are they calm or stressed out? What are their interests? Do they have kids? Do they have friends? Do they have pets? What kind of work do they do? So Paul's walking around Athens noticing. What does he notice? Well, look at verse 16. These people are really into idols. Verse 16 says the city was full of idols, and that's no exaggeration. One first century writer estimates that there were over 30,000 gods worshipped by the Athenians. Beginning with Athena, for whom the city was named, and in whose honor they had built a temple called the Parthenon. So 30,000 gods. And so everywhere Paul walks, he sees another temple, he sees a shrine, he sees a statue, he sees an altar. In fact, verse 23 says, they've even got an altar to an unknown God just in case they missed anybody. All right? And Paul notices that. Last week I suggested to you that it's really helpful. If you want to move a conversation from small talk to God talk, it's really helpful if you begin to notice, to identify the gods of the person you're speaking to, the false gods. So we used the story of Zacchaeus last week. See what you remember. What was Zacchaeus's God? Call it out. It was money. Zacchaeus's God was money. I defined a God last weekend as anything we depend on to give us a sense of happiness, significance, or security. Happiness, significance, or security. And the problem with false gods, you remember this? The problem with false gods is they don't deliver the goods. Okay, the happiness, significance, or security they give. You know, none of it lives up to our expectations. It's short-lived. So we, we pursue, for example, the God of vocational success, and we finally land our dream job. And where does it get us? We're stressed out at work, and we've lost a lot of friends along the way, and several years from now our company's going to downsize, and we're going to be out of work. We, we, we put our trust in a false god. Maybe you're a high school student, and recently a false god has been getting a date to the homecoming dance. And so you landed a date, but that was a month ago now. Okay, the excitement of the homecoming dance is greatly diminished. You don't even remember the name of the person you went to the dance with. They're dating somebody else by now. Or, or maybe your false god is kids' sports. Every Monday, you are exhausted because you did nothing but run around all weekend from game to game to game. 
And you sat on the sidelines next to parents whose kids were starters and stars and your kids riding the bench, so you felt like a chump. And not only that, three years from now, your kid is going to announce, I don't want to do soccer or ballet or whatever anymore. And you're going to say, well, there goes the college scholarship. Your hope was in a false gods. False gods don't deliver lasting happiness, significance, or security. But the one true living God does. And this is a major motivation for us to move conversation from small talk to God talk because we care about people. We care about people and it breaks our hearts to see them pursuing God, gods who won't be there for them in the tough times. Pursuing gods that can't relieve the guilt of their sins with forgiveness. Gods that can't help them mend broken relationships or free them from self-destructive habits. Gods that can't shape them into good parents or good neighbors or good friends. Gods that have no power to give them eternal life. Do, do, do we care enough about people to move conversations from small talk about false gods to God talk? Now, there's, a, there's a, another motivation for these spiritual conversations that I want you to see in today's text. It took me a little by surprise this last week as I studied this passage. Look again at verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Circle the word distress, put an arrow out to the margin. I'm going to tell you what, what to write there in just a moment. Paul was distressed. Why? Well, I've just been describing why it ought to break our hearts to see people depending on false gods for happiness, significance, or security. Is that why Paul was distressed? There's something more here. Bible scholars tell us that the word distressed appears also in the Old Testament to describe God's response to mankind's persistent idolatry. Only in most Old Testament passages, the same word is translated not as distressed, but as provoked. And in the context, most often, it speaks of the fact that our idolatry provokes God to anger. Provokes God to anger. You see, it's a supreme insult to Almighty God when the very people whom He's made in His image, when the people whose lives he sustains on a, a daily basis, every heartbeat, every breath of air, the people on whom he's lavished so many blessings, when these people then pursue and worship other gods, trivial, powerless gods. So, so when Paul engaged people in conversation, it was not only because he was concerned about their spiritual welfare, it was also because he was concerned about God's honor. God's honor. You know, people's idols are a slap across God's face. And the scripture says that distressed Paul. And it ought to distress us. You know, I, 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 I was ruminating on this thought this past week. I thought, you know, does this, am I distressed by people's pursuit of false idols? Because of the dishonor that it pays God. 
And, and I thought to myself, maybe, maybe this explains why on a Sunday morning as I'm driving to church, oftentimes I have this internal dissonance because I'm looking out, out my windshield and I'm seeing people walking dogs and I'm seeing people bike and I'm seeing them put golf clubs in the back of their car and head into restaurants and to shops and seeing them congregate on soccer fields, doing all, all sorts of things other than going to church to worship God. And, and I say this not out of condescension, and I say it not simply because I'd rather they be here at Christ Community Church where they can get to know the God who can deliver the goods, unlike their false idols. But I also say it because I'm insulted for God's sake that people, good people, would choose kids' sports or yard work or golf or, or whatever over an hour of worshiping him. You know, I, I, I can understand why false gods distressed Paul. They distress me. But, but, but they also motivate me to tell others why God is so much more worthy of the time and attention I give him than anything else in my life. That everything else is small talk by comparison. You know, jobs... Favorite sports teams, shopping, working out, cars, friends, one-year-old birthday parties, trips to Cancun, politics, wine tasting, the Cubs, whatever. See, I, I don't want to be too big a fan of anything that eclipses Jesus, especially in conversation with others. I don't want to leave anybody with the idea that I'm, I'm more into X, Y, Z than I am into the one who made me in his image and redeemed me at the cost of his son's life. Now, if this were a Baptist church, you all would have said amen to that, but we're not. So, would you agree? Yes. See, you're not going to move from small talk to God talk if, if, if you're talking in big talk about stuff that's really not significant. If you want the, the God talk to matter, and people got to see this God means more to you than anything else. Okay, number two, go from noticing, noticing people's gods, picking up on that, engaging. Number two, engage. And I'm going to read the big chunk of the passage to you now. Go back to verse 16 and follow along as I read. When Paul was waiting, while he was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for his buds, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we, we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I love that. Sounds like Starbucks to me. You know? <laughs> Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So Paul engages the Athenians, 
N stands for notice, E stands for engage. And last week I told you that one aspect of engaging is to create conversational environments. You know, times and places in which you can talk freely. So when Paul was in Athens, he he chose three very different uh, environments in which to engage people in spiritual conversation. So the first environment I want to mention, I'm going to call it church, though for the Apostle Paul it, it was actually the synagogue. You see in verse 17 that he reasoned regularly in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Now here's a novel thought you may have never thought before, but church is a great place to engage people in spiritual conversations, to move the conversation from small talk to God talk. So Christ Community Church is a, is a sort of church that invites people to come who are not yet initiated, who are exploring the faith, who are kicking the tires, who are trying to figure things out. And, and they're, they're, they're all around us on any given weekend at any of our campuses. There, there's a large group of explorers in our children's ministry and in our middle school and high school ministries. So if you want to be part of a spiritual conversation... Oh my goodness, volunteer to serve with Kids World or Genesis, our middle school ministry or, or at a house group for our high school ministry. If you talk to any one of our volunteers there who's had the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with a 5-year-old or 11-year-old or 16-year-old and maybe even pray with that young person as they surrender their life to Christ, it'll change your life. It, it is exciting. So, children's ministry, youth ministry. Okay, here, here's another place where it happens. It happens, I hope, it happens in zones. It happens in that section of seats where, 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 where you're sitting. Again, let me challenge you with this thought. If you'll come five minutes early, see, some of us come halfway through the first song. Some of us don't even know that our church sings. <laughs> I'm just saying, Okay? Okay, what would happen, listen, what would happen if you got here five minutes early, you you dropped off your jacket and your Bible in the seat where you want to sit, and then you cruised that section of seats and greeted other people. I dare say, listen, some of the people you meet are still explorers. They don't wear it as a badge, but they're still checking things out. And you may begin a conversation that becomes a better conversation over time. Maybe someday, as you greet each other each week, you'll say, well, let's do coffee this week. There may be an opportunity for a spiritual conversation. Let me encourage you to even raise it higher and consider zone leadership. We've still got some zones that could use leaders to volunteer to be part of the leadership team of a zone, making it a hospitable place. Here's here's another thing to consider church-wise, inviting a friend who doesn't know Christ. Okay, that, that survey that I keep bringing up that was done this past year among unchurched people, that s- same survey discovered that 40, uh, 34% of, of the people who don't go to church say that they would go to church, they're, they're likely or extremely likely to go to church if a friend invites them. One out of three. Likely or extremely likely, they're just waiting for an invitation. And if you say, well, I've invited somebody and they've turned me down, well, that's one. Okay, you got to go to bat at least three times, okay? Because one one of the three is bound to say, sure, I'll go with you. Especially if they hear from you 
Not just, hey, go to church, but they hear, hey, I got to tell you how this church has changed my life. I got to tell you how much I've learned about God or how this church has ministered to my kids. And then invite them. Invite them to come. So church, church is the place to start. Let me give you a second environment to consider. Second environment in which Paul engaged in spiritual conversations while in Athens. I'm going to call this a local hangout. Okay, look again at verse 17. After we read that Paul reasoned with people in the synagogue, it says, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, the marketplace in Athens was called the Agora. If you went to the Agora, there were eating places, there were shops, there were uh, artisans doing their crafts. It was a really cool place to go and hang out and talk with people. Where are some of those hangout places today? Where are they? Restaurants, coffee shops, pubs, dog parks, the sidelines of our kids' events, front porches, back patios, health clubs, playgrounds. And, and, and we can go there with friends with the intention of engaging them in conversation. Or we can just show up by ourselves and see who's there to talk with. Acts 17.17 17 says that Paul reasoned with whomever he met at the Agora. Reason. One, one Bible scholar notes that because this was Athens, and Athens was the hometown of the famous philosopher Socrates, no doubt Paul's reasoning involved the Socratic method. Now, you may not remember this from school, but the Socratic method is the, the way that Socrates taught his students. He taught them, it's going to sound familiar, by asking them good questions. Wow, that was the Socratic method. It was question and answer. So good questions. Last weekend I recommended to you a book uh, which many of you picked up by the way we sold the book out at our resource called The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations and one of the arts is the art of asking good questions. By the way we replenish the stock of that book so there are more copies available asking good questions uh, where'd you grow up why'd you pick the line of work you're in uh, what qualities do you look for in a friend when was the last time you felt especially close to God the art of asking good questions this is part of engaging people asking let, let, let me take you back to that conversation I had with the guy enough enough okay so I left off the story where he had just exclaimed I love shawarma. I could eat this stuff every day. So now I had an opportunity at that point. I, I could have looked at him, smiled, nodded my agreement, and gone back to my meal. But instead, I asked him a question. Here's the question I asked him. I said, have you ever had shawarma in the Middle East? And you're saying, well, why did you ask that particular question? Well, here's what's going on in my head, okay? I want to move a conversation from small talk to God talk. And I'm figuring if I ask him this question, he's going to give me an answer, and then he's going to ask me, have you ever had shawarma in the Middle East? And I'm going to say, well, every time I go to Israel, and maybe talking about the land of the Bible is going to move conversation that direction. Some of you are thinking, you are deluded, dude. <laughs> it worked. Okay, I asked him, ever had shawarma in the Middle East? He said, well, I've been to the Middle East, but it was courtesy of the U.S. Navy. <laughs> so he said, I didn't eat shawarma. I ate whatever they served me on ship. And then he looked at me and he said, hey, have you ever had shawarma in the Middle East? Funny, you should ask. 
I said, you know, I was just there a year ago with a big group of people from my church. I didn't say it quite like that. Honest to goodness, honest to goodness, he looked at me and he said, church? He said, I used to be into church, I used to be into Jesus, but I gave it all up. I looked at him and I asked another question. I said, used to be? What happened? And here, here is this guy I've just met at Nafnaf, and he, he, he's kind enough to tell me his personal story. He says, my dad was a jerk. He used a different word that I can't use in my sermon here. He said, my dad was a jerk, and when he finally left home, my mom started sleeping with a wide variety of men, and our, our family just came, just came apart. And he said, I decided to give up on God and church and all that stuff. Now, I'm going to come back to the rest of the story later on. There's a point I want to make here. The point is that good questions at a local hangout open up spiritual conversations. Good questions at a local hangout, I'll get it, open up spiritual conversations. Let me give you a third environment that Paul took advantage of in Athens. I call it the hot seat. Look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to to debate with Paul. Now, I've already said that Athens was the intellectual capital of the Roman Empire. So really, really smart people lived in Athens. And they loved to talk about the latest ideas. So the, the Epicurean philosophers, and you could find this in the footnotes of your NIV study Bible, all right? The Epicurean philosophers, they believed that the greatest good of man is pleasure. You know, that ought to be the goal you shoot for. And they believed in a God, but they believed God created the world and then sort of stepped out of the picture, hands off, uninvolved. The the Stoic philosophers, they sort of believed that mankind is the center of things, and they promoted rational thinking and self-sufficiency. They believed in God, but they believed in God as kind of a life force, if you would like Luke Skywalker's force. So Paul found himself in conversation with these two groups of philosophers. Verse 19 says they then brought him to the Areopagus to present his ideas to a larger group of thinkers. The Areopagus was a committee of people, you know, important citizens in Athens who were the filter for for everything that got, got communicated by way of religion and morals and education. So if they decided to put the kibosh on Paul, if they decided to censor what what he has to say, then he loses his preaching license. So it's really important to Paul to present the truth of Christianity in a winsome way to this group. He was on the hot seat. Now, what would be the contemporary parallel to the Areopagus today? I mean, what, what hot seats might give us an opportunity to engage others in a spiritual conversation? Well, maybe if you're a high school student, maybe it's your science class where you dare to speak up and say you believe that God, not impersonal random forces, created the universe. Or, or maybe it's your group of 20-something friends who are sharing who they're living with, sleeping with, and, 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 and you dare to defend biblical morality, say, well, this is what I think God's intention is in a sexual relationship and why I'm waiting for marriage for such. 
or maybe given the fact that it's election season, maybe it's at work daring to say without naming any candidates, I'm going to vote for those who've got a pro-life platform because I believe that God puts babies in mothers' wombs very intentionally. And this is what the Bible says. Now, these can be fairly intense conversations, and if we're not careful, they could become nasty arguments. So how do we equip ourselves to go from small talk to God God talk when we're on the hot seat? Or or for that matter, when we're, we're in either of the other two environments I've mentioned, in church or at a local hangout. You know, how do we know what to say? Well, that brings us to the T in net, to tell. Okay, number three, tell. I'm going to wrap this story up by giving you three, three tips and four tools, okay, for telling others the good news about Jesus, whether it's in a church setting or in a local hangout or when you, you've been put on the hot seat. And by the way, the, the book that I keep recommending, Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations, the book does a tremendous job on the N and the E of net, notice and engage. I don't think it does a super job when it comes to the T. In fact, only one of the nine arts deals with telling others the good news, the ninth art. I think in, in Scripture, you know, Scripture makes a much stronger case for the importance of this step. So I'm recommending two other books that we're also carrying uh, at resource, and you could pick up one of these. One is called Organic Outreach for Ordinary People. I know that's a mouthful, but organic just means comes up in your conversation. You know, how, how, how do you make it happen in everyday conversation? Organic outreach for, every, for, for ordinary people. The other is a book called simply Tell Someone. I read both of these books this summer, fabulous books, and they're available at resource. So let me give you three tips, four tools, and then we'll close. Tip number one, give positive feedback to the people you're talking with. Give positive feedback. You remember how distressed Paul was by all the idols he saw in Athens? And yet that wasn't the first thing out of his mouth when he spoke before the Areopagus. Look at verse 22. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Wow. Paul commends these idolaters for their interest in spiritual matters. You know, I've often found that this is helpful when I'm talking to someone who's debating spiritual things with me to say, you know, I'm really glad you're showing an interest in in getting to know God because the Bible says that God will be found by us when we seek him with all our hearts. It's really cool to see you seeking God. So you find something complimentary to say. Tip number two, you look for a good transition line. So what was Paul's transition line when he was speaking to the Areopagus? Again, look at verse 23. You know, Paul says, I've been walking around your city, seeing all these altars, and there's an altar to an unknown God. Transition line coming. The God you don't know? Let me tell you about him. (laughs) Okay? And then in the next 10 verses, I wish we had the time to go through verses 24 to 34, Paul lays out one attribute after another about this God whom they don't know. And he very subtly contrasts this God with the gods of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. 
See, this God that Paul describes in verses 24 to 34, he's the God who created everything but created you in his image so you can know him. He's intentionally involved in your life. He's a personal God. He's not removed like the God of the Epicureans. He's not an impersonal force like the God of the Stoics. So Paul uses that transition line. Let me tell you about the God you don't know. Uh, This past week, my garage door broke, the opener. I I pulled into my drive one night, and I hit my button, and nothing. So I go inside, and I hear the motor grinding. So I called a garage door opener fix-it guy, and he came by, and we uh, soon decided it was an old opener and needed to be replaced. So he's working in my garage, fixing it. Really nice guy. And so I'm standing there talking to him because if God brings a repairman to your house, maybe there's a spiritual conversation to be had, right? So I'm standing there, we're doing small talk and finding a little bit about his background. Again, a really great guy. If you need a door opener, fix a guy, I can recommend him to you. And in the middle of the conversation, I learn he lives in St. Charles and he's got some kids, some boys in middle school. Boom! Middle school. I said, oh, we have got the most tremendous middle school program at the church I go to. I didn't say the church I pastor because I don't say that. Keep it hidden. So, and so I'm talking about Genesis, and I'm, you know, in the middle of my regaling our middle school ministry, he says, says to me, oh, the hub. <laughs> I said, the hub. He goes, yeah, I drive past it, see the big sign. Now, now the conversation didn't go much further than that, but oftentimes spiritual conversations, we're we're just sowing seeds. We're we're looking for something that will move a conversation from small talk to God talk, whatever it is. Tip number three, make cultural connections. You remember the Athenians were really into literature and art and, and philosophy. And so when Paul is in the process of describing this one true living God in verses 24 to 34, one of the things he does, he quotes two of their famous poet philosophers. See, Paul was reading the best-selling books of the day. And I'll tell you what, I'm trying to move a conversation from small talk to God talk. I will reference anything in contemporary pop culture that I think might connect with the person I'm talking to. So it, it, might, it might be the storyline of a blockbuster movie that everybody's watching or a best-selling book. It might be the lyrics of a song uh, you know, done by a band that I know they're familiar with. You know, it might be something from the world of sports. You know, we got some Cubs players like Ben Zobrist who are Christ followers, and I might say, yeah, I was listening to an interview with Ben Zobrist the other day. So, a friend of mine, his 20-something-year-old friend, he told me about what he does last week, and I thought, this is brilliant. This is creative. i got to tell people about this. Uh, he's really into music. And so whenever he meets someone, he learns everything he can about them as the friendship grows. And then he creates a playlist for them based on what he knows about them. A playlist of songs, some secular songs, some Christian songs, and he puts it together in the hopes it'll open up conversations about Jesus. I thought, that is remarkable. What a great idea. So make cultural connections. Those are my three tips from this story in Acts 17. Let me give you four tools in closing because my suspicion is that you like me, we're probably looking at this story and saying, I would be thoroughly intimidated by some of the people Paul spoke to, especially those smarty pants guys, that last group. So what tools will give me the right words? 
So four tools I'd recommend to you. The first is our everyday evangelism course, our everyday evangelism course at Christ Community Church. It's, it's just a half-day course. It's taught to help people engage in spiritual conversations with others. Uh, Jim Kay, who teaches this course, I swear to you, he could talk to anybody about Jesus. So he's a good guy to get to know. You'll make him your personal consultant after you get to know him and take the class, okay? And the next, next class is being offered at the St. Charles campus this coming Saturday. So November 5, from 8 a.m. to half past noon, everyday evangelism. If you've never taken it, I can't recommend it highly enough. Second tool, an alpha group. And I'm talking about a group you might want to go to yourself if you're exploring the faith, or you might want to send someone to or take someone with you who's exploring the faith. Alpha is a nine-week small group experience. Got started in England. It's now spread all around the world. All sorts of churches, every stripe, are using this. It covers the basics of the Christian faith for explorers, for, for, for the tire kickers. It's a question and answer format. Format. We've got two alpha groups going on right now with over 25 people in each group. And it just is a way for you to ask your questions and, and to get answers. Third tool, the God's Good News booklet. Okay, the God's Good News booklet. If you read verses 24 to 34, Paul's description of this one true living God, you get to the end and you say, I could never do that. I mean, Paul is just so articulate. So theologically sound, most of us couldn't do it, which is why we put together the God's Good News booklet. We have summarized the basic message of the Bible, the good news about Christ, in a little booklet that's got Bible verses and helpful visual diagrams, and we encourage you to use this with friends. So the guy at Nafnaf, we, we spent like 20 to 30 minutes talking about spiritual things. We get to the end of the conversation, and he said he had to take off. He was going to put in another hour or two at the office before he headed for home. I reached into my pocket. I pulled out a God's Good News booklet. I said, here, this summarizes some of the stuff we've been talking about. I encourage you to read it. And he looked at me. He took the booklet, and he said, I promise you I'll read it before I go to bed tonight. And then he added, he said, I kind of feel like we were supposed to have this conversation. And I said, yeah, you think so? I do too. You know, just last week, Sue and I met at a, a coffee shop with a, a college-aged woman who's been searching for spiritual answers in Islam the last several years. And again, we walked through the gospel and we pulled out a God's Good News booklet and just went through it page by page. I try to always have one handy, okay, in my backpack, in my daytimer, in the glove compartment of my car, near at hand. It's just a great tool. One last tool, and you don't see this in Acts chapter 17, but I love this tool. I call it Matthew parties. Okay, Matthew was one of the first followers of Jesus. He was a tax collector. And one of the first things he did after surrendering his life to Christ is he invited a bunch of his buds from his old life to come over to a party at his house, and he had Jesus and some fellow disciples, some fellow Christ followers there. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Most of us have, have friends in two distinct groups if you're a Christ follower. You've got your Christ-following friends and you've got your secular, secular friends, and never do the two groups meet. And I say, why, why not mix it up? Why, why not do a backyard 
barbecue? Why not do a party? Why not go out to dinner with a couple of people from this group and a couple of people from, from this group, and then all of a sudden you're not the only one trying to move the conversation from small talk to God talk. You're not the only one who's got to give answers to tough questions. Mix it up, mix it up. Now, here's, here's what we're going to do as we close. Uh, we're going to collect our gifts as we sing a song that reminds us that we've got a life-changing message to bring to the world. As we collect our gifts, let me just remind you, if you're ready right now to tear off that section of your program and make a new or increased commitment to either, you know, to either the, uh, the next campaign or the general fund, and by the way, some of you, some of you are wondering, well, which, one should I, which direction should I go? And the answer is either, wherever God leads you, okay? And, and also let me say this, if you're wondering, well, why don't we fix the general budget problem by just taking money from the next campaign? You can't do that. Legally, you can't do that. When people give to a designated project, you've got to give the money toward that project. So the general budget you know, shortage is not going to go away and, unless we give more generously. So if you're ready to do that, feel free to tear it off, fill it out. If, if you're making a brand new commitment to Next, by the way, uh, we want you to sign a brick. There are brick walls at every one of our four campuses that are just symbolic of the work God's called us, the building work God's calling us to do around the world. There's a gold pen. You could sign your name to a brick once you've made a commitment to give to the next campaign. Now, let's sing from our hearts. Let's sing from our hearts. And then our campus pastors are going to come and close in prayer.